Well, good morning once again, everybody. Uh, my name is still Chris Kimston since last time uh, that we spoke. Uh, usually you hear from John or I up here on Sunday mornings, but um, John is actually at Elam Christian Fellowship this morning. How many people were here last week for, um, yes, absolutely. So uh, Pastor Hurst, uh, Pastor Michael Hurst from Elam Christian Fellowship was here co-teaching with John this last week, and John is there this morning preaching at their services, and so uh, he's doing great out there, um, but... Uh, all services are actually at all different Hope's campuses are live streaming this weekend because uh, one, we are one church in multiple locations. And uh, in case you didn't know, this is actually one of six different uh, campus locations all around central Iowa for Lutheran Church of Hope. And the, the awesome thing about that is that you are a part of a much bigger network of people than anyone who meets in this building during any of our services. We are definitely part of a, of a huge movement and congregation here in central Iowa. And uh, Pastor Mike uh, wanted to make sure that everybody could hear this awesome message as we continue with our 2020 series, All Eyes on Jesus. We've been walking through the book of Matthew. So uh, Pastor Mike knows that he's preaching uh, to you. He has been uh, praying for you guys this week. And so if he asks uh, for you to participate, if he asks you to read something, if he says a joke, feel free to laugh about it. And if you don't, both he and John will know, because something I've learned is John always knows. So uh, feel free to follow along with all of that stuff, um, participate as you will, and uh, let's pray before we go out to West Des Moines. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity uh, that we have to be a part of your church, not just your church here in Ingersoll, not even just your church at Hope, but God, that we are a part of what you are doing in this world. We are a part of your people seeking to bring your kingdom to our world, to our day and age. And God, thank you for using us to love the world around us. Thank you for giving us a chance to gather and hear your word. God, show us yourself in a new way today. Be unmistakably you. Be with Mike and West Des Moines. God, be with John uh, out at Elam. And God, be with us all here. Whatever we're, uh, we brought in with us, help us to know that it belongs here. Help us to know that we belong. And God, thank you for bringing us into your family. It's in your good name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Let's go out to West Des Moines. Good morning, Hope. Uh, welcome to all of you who are here. And those of you who are watching via video live right now at one of our campuses or local sites, that scene was from Jesus Christ Superstar Live, which was shown on Easter Sunday uh, in the evening on NBC just a couple of years ago. And it really kind of blew everybody away. It suddenly was up for Emmy Awards, and the guy who played Jesus, John Legend, won an award. The guy who played Judas, who you just saw his rendition of Jesus Christ Superstar, was up for an award as well. Uh, and people went crazy on social media for it, too, in a real positive way. There's something about that that I thought was really telling. It's Easter, and so people are probably thinking about Jesus more than normal, and that's a good thing. But it was also, I think, an uh, indication that our culture is longing for a connection to God. And the best way to do that is through Jesus Christ. I think we all do. It is all eyes on Jesus this year for us at Hope, and that is certainly the case at the end of that song that you just saw. Uh, the guy playing Judas sings Jesus Christ Superstar, and he asks the question, which is really the major theme of this rock opera, this musical, who's Jesus? Who is he? And so at the end of the song, the crowd goes crazy. 
they're cheering, they're up, they're giving him a standing ovation, and he acknowledges it, he, he receives it, but then do you notice what happened there? It's subtle, but it's kind of hard to miss. He turns his head to Jesus on the cross. It's all eyes on Jesus, and it's not just his eyes, but it's the eyes of all the disciples and the dancers and representing the world, if you will, behind him. All of them turn away from the praise of people and the accolades of the audience, this, the theater audience giving them a standing ovation, and they all turn to face Jesus Christ on the cross. The metaphor is rich, and the symbolism is impossible to miss. That's the whole point of our theme this year as a church. It's all eyes on Jesus. We turn our heads to Jesus Christ, not the watered-down version of Jesus that's more culturally palpable and minimized and comfortable and easy to get along with, but the Jesus who both comforts us in our sorrows but also challenges us when we're getting too comfortable. The Jesus who is, was, and always will be. The Jesus who's revealed to us through the pages of Scripture that we're going to be immersing ourselves in this year as a church. We already are. I had a woman come up to me last night after the Saturday service and said, this is my favorite all-time sermon year ever. I'm like, well, thank you, Mom. And uh, I appreciate the... It wasn't my mom. I didn't know who it was. But she was truly excited. She says, I've been here for years, and it's just so great. It says, we always talk about Jesus, but it's so great to put our focus on Jesus this year, because it's what we need. It's, it's why people go crazy for Jesus Christ Superstar Live on Easter Sunday. It's why suddenly it's up for all these awards. It's why people cheer. Jesus Christ Superstar's been around for 50 years now. It came out as an album, a rock album, back in 1970, and then it went to London, and it was staged there, and then New York on Broadway, and then it became the rather famous uh, movie that was in theaters, and it caused quite a stir. It was very controversial. And I'm not here today to uh, give a you know, critic's view of different renditions of Jesus Christ Superstar or, or, or to lift it up as being theologically or biblically perfect. It's certainly not. And that was part of the controversy when it came out. It says, well, that's not what the Bible says. And they took liberties, and, and they, they pushed it too far, but I've never seen a Jesus movie that doesn't. And over time, I think uh, those who were the biggest opponents and critics of it started to come around and say, well, at least, at least it tells the story, and it gets people thinking about Jesus, even if it doesn't do it perfectly, theologically or biblically, and it doesn't. But it tells the story. For me personally... I saw this movie when I was in high school in the 80s with some of my friends in our youth group. Somebody had it on a VCR, and so we watched it, and then we watched it again and again and again, and we, we started like watching it over and over again because we loved the music so much. But there was something else going on inside of me anyway. It was, it was stirring my soul. Jesus was coming to life for me in a way that he had never done before. It could be a movie for you, or it could be a, a Bible camp experience, it could be a, a worship experience at church, it could be a Sunday school class, a confirmation class, a Bible study, a small group meeting, whatever it might be. It could be a, a real personal, private experience in prayer. But at what point does Jesus become real for you? At what point does he become alive for you? For, for me, my own personal story, if you will, this movie actually is something God used to really awaken my faith, to, to move Jesus from just somebody I read about in 2D and in, in, in the pages of Scripture to somebody who actually lived and breathed and had emotions and feelings, and he did, and biblically he did too. 
From there, Jesus Christ Superstar has been done in all sorts of different renditions, including one of my favorites in the movie Along Came Polly. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays both Jesus and Judas, uh, kind of on the side of community theater. And then the one that was uh, got all the awards that you just saw a, a song from. There was one at the Civic Center last week or, a week or two weeks ago that my wife and I saw, and we saw a lot of you there too. After this touring rendition of Jesus Christ Superstar last week at the Civic Center, at the one we were at, they invited people to go to an to open question and answer session with some of the cast afterwards. I was like, that's a real good potential landmine for, uh, or, or uh, uh, mine for uh, sermon material. So I went in there and sure enough, I got some, here it is. So we, we sit down and four of the cast members come out and they were very kind and, and humble and gracious and funny and um, we, for 20 minutes or so, just asked questions. There were maybe 50, 60 people in the room and uh, I'm so shy I didn't ask, but other people did and what really um, intrigued me was here we just saw, sat in the Civic Center for 90 minutes of the story of Jesus Christ. His life, his miracles, his teaching, his death on the cross as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. It's a, um, it's a deeply spiritual story. And it points us to, to this savior that God sent into the world who died for the sins of the world. And yet all of the questions, every single one of the questions were technical. How did you learn the dance moves? How, how do you protect your voice doing eight shows in, in seven days? How, how do you stay healthy on the road? How do you try out for a play like this? How, how did you get into theater? What, 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 what's, what are the, is, this, is this technically hard, this music? How does it compare to other musicals you've been in? How, how, do you, how did you learn all the dance steps and choreograph all that? Where did you practice? Where did you rehearse? How did you get it all together? And I thought, really, I was intrigued. They're good questions, and I kind of wanted to know the answers to those questions, but it left me wondering, is anybody going to ask? You could say, well, why didn't you ask Pastor Mike? Because sometimes when you're Pastor Mike out there, you know, you're kind of, if everyone's expecting it, and I'm just waiting, please, somebody ask something. Somebody ask something spiritual, but nobody ever did until one woman raised her hand and said, this music, ever since I was a kid, it's just stirred my soul. She said, oh, that's me. I, I thought, she's saying what I would say. And she said, but I'm not religious or anything, but this music makes me cry. I'm not religious. In fact, for some reason, she decided to say, in fact, I'm an atheist. I don't even believe in God. God, but this music makes me cry. It was all I could do. I mean, Sally's looking at me like, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> because it isn't helpful for Christians to raise their self-righteous little hands at that point point. go, well, you know, the reason you're crying is because you're really spiritually empty and you need something with God and that's why you're crying. And don't you get it? Don't you're weeping? <laughs> and we wonder why Christians are so bad at evangelism sometimes. I did want to get over to her afterwards though and have a one-on-one -on -one. and you know, say, hey, um, here's my card, right? <laughs> because I think she is longing for more. I think, I think she's representative of a culture that's looking for all sorts of spiritual things, looking for all sorts of meaning, looking for all sorts of purpose and direction in life. And it's so close. It would be so easy to receive. It's, 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 all, it's almost a tragedy that it's that close to all of us, not just her. I don't want to pick on her. 
it's so close to all of us. And I'm not just talking about the people who aren't Christians. I'm talking about you and me and those of us who call ourselves Christians. What are the things that distract us? What are the technical things that, that distract us when we come and worship God here? That take our eyes off of Jesus. That make it all about whether we like the song we sang or not. Or, or whether, whether we prefer the worship leader who sang it at, at whatever campus you're at. Or, or if we like somebody else when they sing more. Or if we like the way the set looks or the way the candles are lit. Or, or, or the way something else is set up. Or, or, or who's preaching today or who's doing something else. Are your eyes on Jesus or are they on the wrong thing? Are you distracted by the things that are going on around you? Or are you turning your head along with the people at the end of that song in the opening clip? and putting all eyes on Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, and if I don't, if we don't, we're missing the better part, the best part, the most important part. We're missing the part that God has for us here that will bless us more than anything else. If we reduce worship or religious activity or spirituality just to a bunch of rate of record, kind of a thumbs up on that, thumbs down on that, I like this, I didn't like that, and we just become a bunch of consumers, and it turns into a whole technical thing of technically this happened at church today and this didn't happen and that was over here and that was over there, and that's what it's all about, we miss the best part. We miss the Jesus the Jesus who is, not the minimized, watered-down version of Jesus, but the Jesus who is, which takes us right in to not just our theme for this year, All Eyes on Jesus, but our Bible reading for today from Matthew's Gospel, about halfway through, Matthew chapter 16. And the question is this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus for you? Not just the people who are playing Jesus in a, in a musical, or, or, or the people who are sitting around you, or the people you came here with. What about you? Because that's the way Jesus brings the question to his followers. Not just the general public and the crowd, but to his followers. It's halfway through his three-year tour, a three-year ministry from Galilee to Jerusalem. On the way to the cross, Jesus is teaching and doing miracles, and, and he's stirring things up. I mean, he's really stirring things up. Massive crowds are starting to follow him. But every once in a while, he gets away by himself, and once in a while, he gets away with his disciples. It's not like they're going home every day. They're camping out. They're on the road. They're on tour. And along the way, one night while they're sitting around on tour, just Jesus and his 12 closest friends, his disciples, his small group, if you will, his life group, he gets together with them and he says, all right, we're about 18 months in. We're at halftime here. We're right before the second half where things are really going to start to pick up. The Gospel of Luke says Jesus at this point set his face to Jerusalem. The emphasis wasn't going to be on miracles and teaching and going around the Sea of Galilee anymore. Now the focus was going to be about marching into Jerusalem where he knew that he would die as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, where he knew an execution on a cross awaited him. He told people this three times, his disciples, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the authorities. I'm going to be put on trial for a crime I didn't commit. I'm going to be mocked, beaten, whipped, and crucified. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. But that's the second half. This is halftime. That's where we meet Jesus today. And at halftime, he gets together with his team. 
his disciples, and he asked them this question. Who do people say that I am? You've been with me now for a year and a half. You've seen what I've done. You've seen my miracles. You've heard my teaching. You've seen my character. You know what I'm about. You know my heart. But what I want to know is, who are people saying that I am? Well, that's an easier, softer question. And the disciples immediately jump on it, all of them. They say, well, some people say you're like Elijah. That's what we hear out there. That's the buzz. That's what's in the crowd. Other people say you're like John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Jesus doesn't respond to their response, but instead he gives them a follow-up question. The most important question they'll ever be asked. The most important question you and I will ever be asked. And through the living word of God today, it's coming to you. Who is Jesus for you? What about you, Jesus says? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? In your heart of hearts, not just the answer you know you're supposed to give at church, but what do you really believe? What do you really believe about this man? What do you really believe about his identity? About who he is, who he was, and who he always will be? Do you believe, like so much of the world today, who says, well, he was a good teacher. He was an important religious figure in history. Time Magazine called him the most influential human being who ever walked the face of this earth. True. But that doesn't mean they believe that he's the savior of the world just that he had a lot of influence. Is that as far as it goes for you? He's just a, another prophet, a, a, another religious figure, a, one flavor of religious kinds of leaders that you, could, that you could drink in if that's your preference. You can take a little Jesus over here and a little bit of other religions over here and you can kind of mix them all together and they're all equals and they're all about the same and they're all on par. Or is there something unique about the universality of Jesus Christ? Is there something different about him? There certainly is in the direction because all of these other religious leaders and philosophers are gonna do their best, when they're at their best, to point you to a teaching that's gonna lead you to a higher plane of living spiritually. So it's gonna be about, hey, try harder, do better, be more moral, be more righteous, be, be, be gooder people, right? Jesus Christ is different. He didn't come and say, hey, follow my teaching and then you'll get closer to the life that you're supposed to live. In addition to that, he said, I'm God. I'm, I'm not here to point you to my teaching. I'm here to point you to me. I'm here to tell you, follow me, not just my teaching. Come to me, not just my teaching. Give your life to me. Follow me and I will give you life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Not my teaching, me, Jesus says. That's different. That's different than every other religious teacher and leader and philosopher who says, here's a way to think about your life. Here's a way to do it. Here's a way to go. Jesus did that, but he also said, I'm it. It's me. It's not just my teaching. In fact, if it's just my teaching, you're gonna miss the point. And you're dangerously close to making worship and religion and church and spirituality all about sort of a, a critique, all about just watching it and seeing if you're for it or against it. No, if Jesus is who the Bible says he was, 
God, the creator of the universe, showed up as a human being in this world. Not just some teacher or some philosopher or some great thinker, but God himself showed up in this world and said, follow me, come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if that's true, it changes everything. That's why Jesus asked his disciples. That's why through his living word, he asked us today. Halfway through his ministry, he says, who do you say that I am? It is the most important question you'll ever be asked. Because how you answer this question, who is Jesus, is not going to just affect your life right now. It will in massive ways. It's going to affect your life for eternity. Forever particularly if he is who the Bible says he is. And the Bible says he's way more than just a great teacher or a thinker or a philosopher or a religious leader or a revolutionary leader who's here to take over a government. And that's the problem with Christians thinking Christianity today is about getting uh, further in government and taking over worldly powers and capitals and palaces and kingdoms. And that, that's, that's what it is. No, it's not. With all due respect and how important that is, it's about way more than that. It's about way more than the latest cause or the latest social issue or the latest ribbon that we we wear on our lapels or, or, or the latest person that we want to get elected or not elected or in office or out of office. Christianity is not a pawn in a bigger game. Christianity is the beginning, the end, and everything in between. If Jesus is who the Bible says he is, people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Actually, those are people who haven't read the Gospels. He most certainly did. Put on trial by Pilate, and he's asked, are you the Messiah, the Son of the living God? He says, I am. In John chapter 8, verse 58, he says, before Abraham ever existed, I am. He uses the name of Yahweh for himself. When he talks about the kingdom of God, he calls it my kingdom. He says, when you've seen me, you've seen God. When you hear me, you hear God. When you experience me, you experience God. Clearly, he said he is God. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So the question for us today is, do we believe this? Do we truly believe this? Because how we answer that question isn't going to just kick open the door to heaven for us. It's going to change the way we live right now. When Jesus asked this question of his disciples, only one disciple answered, Peter the big mouth, he starts blurting out. He says, ah, I say you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Ding, 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 ding. You have said the right answer, Peter. Yeah, I know, those of you who are Jesus Christ Superstar, big fans, this is from the, the movie. That's actually Simon the Zealot, not Simon Peter. Simon Peter's right off screen. But get over it, all right? It's a good picture. <laughs> Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the one, and what does Jesus say to him? Almost every single time until now, every time the disciples open their mouth, Jesus says, wrong answer. You got it wrong. Where's your faith? What's wrong with you? How come you don't see this? It will not be so amongst you. But when Peter said this for the first time ever, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, Simon Johnson, (laughs) For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And now I say to you, Peter, you have a new nickname. It's the rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my whole church. And the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it because you've got this faith. It's not you, Peter. It's not you I'm building the church on. It's your faith. 
It's this faith that you've just proclaimed. And upon that faith, I'm gonna build my church to a level that it won't ever go away. Here we are, almost 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about this guy. Us and two billion other people on the face of planet Earth today are still talking about this Jesus. Why is that? What is it about him? Jesus says, you're blessed, Simon. You're blessed because if you have faith in me, it blesses you. Everyone say, I am blessed. blessed. I hope you feel that. By the end of the sermon, I hope you really feel that. Turn to the person next to you and say, you could be blessed too, baby. I just want to make sure you know that. Whatever campus you're at or local site, you're blessed. The Greek word for blessed is makarios. Hey, makarios. I won't keep going. You say, oh, wow, that's where they got the word for that song, from, from the Bible. No, it has nothing to do with that word, but it'll help you remember, so I did it. It is the word. When Matthew wrote his gospel, he didn't write down in English, you are blessed. He wrote down in Greek, go back. He wrote down in Greek, you are makarios. The Greek word is makarios. And Matthew loved that word. Now go to the next screen, if you would, please, Mary. Makarios is, uh, is a word that Matthew uses that other gospels don't use, not like he does anyway. And every time he uses it, it has a point. And you start to realize pretty quickly that when Matthew uses the word makarios, and you can look at this just by its literal definition in the biblical Greek too, that makarios is always connected to faith. Makarios means happy, but it also, it's not a happiness apart from faith. It's a happiness that is intimately joined together with faith. In other words, you can't have this joy without faith. You can't be blessed like this. You can't be happy like this. This is what blessed means. You can't be blessed without a faith in Jesus as Jesus really is. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts this most famous sermon, and we're gonna focus in on this during the season of Lent, which is just a couple of months away. He says, blessed, makarios, are the poor, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn and grieve over the death of a loved one today. Blessed are those who are brokenhearted. Blessed are those who are facing injustices, he goes on to say to paraphrase. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And then he concludes this opening of the Sermon on the Mount by saying, be blessed about that. Be happy about it. Be makarios about it. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. Because if you have faith, you have something more. You have something more than anything the world could do to you. You have something greater. It is not to minimize your stress. It is not to minimize your grief. It is not to minimize your sorrow. It is not to minimize your poverty. It is not to minimize the injustice you're up against. It is to say what you have through faith because your faith is not just in a great moral teacher. Your faith is not just in a philosopher. Your faith is not just in a revolutionary leader who's here to overthrow a government. Your faith is in the God of the universe who became human and dwelt among us. Your faith is connected to the creator of all things, including you. You belong to him, and he is for you. And so it puts your stress and your grief and your sorrow and your injustice in perspective. 
And you can still have happiness because it's connected to faith. And it's a faith that isn't just some faith in a philosophy or a way of life or a spirituality. It's a faith in Jesus Christ, the Jesus who is the superstar who showed up that we put all of our eyes on this year because we need this life as much as the woman who's the atheist raised her hand and said, well, I'm not religious, but it makes me weep when I hear these songs. Something deep inside of every single one of our souls, because we've been created with this soul, longs to be in a relationship of faith with this Jesus. Not the Jesus who's just a polite, friendly sort of movement, but the Jesus who is God. The Jesus, the Bible says, shows up. Is your faith in a God who's big enough? The God who actually is. Because that changes everything. It blesses you in a way, listen to me, nothing else can bless you like this. Not one other thing in this whole existence can bless you like faith in Jesus Christ. When your faith is in the God who actually is, the Jesus who shows up, not just the performer who does a musical, not just the religious teaching or reducing it to a bunch of self-righteous morality or, or some sort of ploy to, to, to get our cause moved forward. It's not that we have to be against those things. We should be for all those things. We, should be, we are pro-justice, right? We are pro-love. How's that for controversial? We, we, we are, we are pro-against pro everything around us dying. We're for the things that God is for, but we don't get distracted by those things and take our eyes off Jesus because then we lose the blessing. God blesses those who don't fall away because of me, Jesus says. Tell John the Baptist that the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. The good news is being preached to the poor. This isn't just good news for the people back then, it's for all of us who believe in Jesus today. The dead are gonna be raised to life. Here's a cold, harsh reality. I mean, as long as I'm gonna just put it out there today, I might as well bring you all the way down. 100 out of 100 of us are gonna die. It is a scientific, statistical fact. Not 99 out of 100, not 91 out of 100. 100 out of 100 of us are gonna die. Every single one of us. That stinks. That's a, that's a raw deal. That's not the way God intended it from the beginning of creation, but it's what happened when we fell away from God, when we fell away from life. You can read about this in the beginning of Genesis. But God didn't want to leave us there, so he showed up. He broke into our world with his light for our darkness, his life for our death. Tell John the Baptist the dead are raised to life because people have faith in me. God blesses those people. A hundred out of a hundred of us who have faith in this Jesus Christ will live forever. We'll have eternal life in heaven. Who is this Jesus to you? Oh, it matters. It's the most important question you'll ever be asked. But blessed are your eyes, Matthew's gospel says later, chapter 13, verse 16, because you get to see what you see and your ears because you hear what they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, Jesus but they didn't see it. At the end of Matthew's gospel, 
Jesus says, someone the master can drop in on unannounced and always find him doing his job, serving God, in other words, is a God-blessed man or woman, I tell you. Somebody who has faith that leads to action is a God-blessed man or woman, has makarios, has this happiness, this joy that's connected intimately to faith that we can't have apart from faith. He's more than just a great thinker or philosopher. This Jesus is the savior of the world. Who do you say he is? Today would be a good day to re-up on that or to start for the first time, if that's your story, to put your trust and your faith in this Jesus. The great philosopher Bono, the lead singer of U2, puts it this way. He says, I don't think you're let off easily by saying Jesus. He's, this is from an interview in the Rolling Stone magazine. I don't think you're let off easily by saying Jesus was a great thinker or philosopher because actually he went around saying he was the anointed one of God. That's what Messiah means. So he either was the son of God or he was nuts. That's putting it directly. I find it hard, but true, I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for nearly 2,000 years, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some, don't you love the way some Irish people talk sometimes? Some nutter? I don't believe that. I do believe Jesus is God. If you like your scholarship more from Oxford scholars, here's how C.S. Lewis puts the same thing. He says, you must make your choice to this most important question. You must answer it. Either this man Jesus was and is the son of God or else he was insane or something worse, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. If you read what the Bible says, we find it here at halftime. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And when Peter says, you're God, Jesus says, you're right. You're absolutely right. Blessed are you. I'm going to build my church on that kind of faith that believes that you are God. You're right, Peter. We start to realize as we read the Gospels and we put all of our eyes on Jesus this year that the List of options on this multiple choice question are getting shorter and shorter. At least if we're gonna approach it from the perspective of like a college level logic 101 class. If you read the scriptures, you realize Jesus is just a great teacher isn't an option. Jesus doesn't leave that open to us. As much as we might want it to be or be more comfortable for us, or that's what we've been told, or, or somebody taught us that somewhere along the way, it's not a biblical option. The only three options available to us using Logic 101 are Jesus is a liar, a con man, borderline evil, tricking people into believing he's something that he's not, some sort of manipulative mastermind. Does that really fit his character or his teaching or what his enemies said about him? They could find no fault with him. What his friends said about him? He's without sin. Does he sound evil to you? The other option is to say that he was insane, that he was absolutely off his rocker in, in the same way people walk around in the world today saying, I'm God or I'm the Messiah. But does that fit his character? Does that fit the rest of the story? Does that fit a man who's dying on the cross, who looks out at the people who've nailed him to a cross and are executing him? And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That doesn't sound evil or insane to me. That sounds like God to me. Which leads us to the third and final option. 
That Jesus Christ isn't just a carpenter's kid from Nazareth who became a great religious leader and influenced the world, but he's actually God. And if that starts to get through into your heart, if that starts to touch your soul and stir you up, it is going to change everything in a way that nothing else can. It is going to bless your life in a way that nothing has the power to do. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why it's all eyes on Jesus this year for us. The teaching that Jesus did has been unmatched over the, over the years. We'll, we'll focus in on that, as I said, during the season of Lent, right around the corner. It's the kind of teaching who said, this is my kingdom, come and follow me. His love and his compassion show us that he was God. The kind of love that only God would have to ask for forgiveness for people who are executing him, to say, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest in a way nothing else can. You see this in people who have a deep faith in Jesus Christ and they are going through it. I mean, they are totally up against it in their lives and yet they still walk with peace and the whole world goes, where does that come from? And they still smile and they still have joy. Have you been on a mission trip? We've got a group coming back from an orphanage in Jamaica, which is one of the poorest countries in the Caribbean. I went on that mission trip a long time ago and it, I'll never forget here we are, these relatively affluent people from suburban Iowa flying down to Jamaica to bless these people with our gifts, to bless these people with our service, to bless these people by painting their, their rooms and, and rebuilding their homes, their orphanage, right? And what ends up happening is you realize, yes, that's happening, but they're ministering to us. They're teaching us because they're showing us that they can have macarios. These little orphans who are happier than we are, who have more joy than we do because they belong to Jesus Christ, because they have faith, because nothing can touch their joy, nothing can touch their blessing, because they are connected to a force, to a power, to a blessing that can't be taken away from them, regardless of how dire their circumstances are. Look around. This Jesus is more than just a good teacher. He's a life changer. He's transformational. It's not just his love and compassion and his teaching, it's his fulfillment of prophecies. Jesus is born in Bethlehem to a virgin. If you're a con man and you're saying, oh, well, there's all these prophecies that are hundreds of years old, there's countless books that were written about Jesus before he was ever born. You say, well, he, he could have just been a con man. He could have just known what the prophecies were, and then he made sure he did things to make sure he fulfilled all those prophecies. Great. Some of them I suppose you could do. But how exactly do you control the city you're going to be born in? Bethlehem. Like the prophet said he would 700 years before he was born there. How exactly do you manipulate the system to make sure your mother is a virgin? Now that's a trick, Right? How, how exactly do you manipulate the whole thing to make sure you die in a certain way? At the hands of certain kinds of accusers and the details of your death, which were written about centuries before, come true exactly the way they were written about before. He's more than a good teacher and a religious leader. He's God in human form, and he showed up for you. Finally, and most importantly, it's his Conquest of death. If a hundred out of a hundred of us are going to die, where's our hope? I mean, beyond a very rather quick existence relative to all of human history. 
Where's our hope for something beyond, for something more? At the end of Matthew's gospel, he tells this story of Jesus' resurrection. The angel says to the women who come on Easter Sunday morning, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Who rises from the dead? A good teacher? A revolutionary leader? A philosopher? A thinker? How many philosophers do you know who've risen from the dead? Great thinkers, great teachers, religious leaders. This one did. And if you don't believe me, look into the evidence. If he didn't rise from the dead, where's his body? All the people who had all the power and had everything to lose, all they had to do was produce his dead body and that rumor would be done. They couldn't do it, why? Because he rose from the dead. How about the 500 plus eyewitnesses? How about their transformation? They went from scared to death to giving their lives for the cause. And there's more. How about the transformation of so many of us? As soon as we take that step of faith, which isn't a blind leap of faith, it's built on a mountain of evidence. Look into it. Read what the Bible actually says about who this Jesus is. Who do you say that I am, Jesus wants to know today? Because the way you answer that question will put you on a path of blessings or it will bring you so close to it but you'll miss it. It'll be like watching 90 minutes of Jesus Christ Superstar but missing the point. That there's a God who loves you so much he gave his only son to die for you. That if you just believe in him, you will be blessed. You will be makarios. You will have life new and eternal. Oh, this Jesus that all of our eyes are on this year is worthy of our praise. I want to close in the same kind of way that I started this sermon, with just a couple of minutes from the end of Jesus Christ Superstar, the version that was on NBC a couple Easter's ago. But as you watch this, I want you to do more than just watch a musical. Say, I, I really like this. I like the way they did it. I like the staging. Go ahead. I mean, we're human. You're going to start there. But let your heart and soul and mind go beyond that. And sit back and consider for just a couple of minutes how much this God loves you who showed up as a human being to die to crucify your sin and to conquer death, to bring his light to overcome your darkness. Who do you say this Jesus is? The Bible says he's God. And he came here to save you. This is how much he loves you. Take a look. So that clip ends there. The musical might end there, but we know that that's not where Jesus' story ends. Jesus would go on to not just defeat death, but be resurrected. And not just defeat his death, defeat our death, and I don't even just mean as some sort of fire insurance of someday, somewhere down the line, but I mean whatever death we're facing in our lives, God has defeated that. Whatever sort of death we're facing in our lives, whatever sort of brokenness, we worship a God that didn't just teach us the right things or give us the philosophy in order to have the right frame of mind, but instead God showed up in skin 
and bone to love us well, to show us how to live, and to defeat our brokenness. And that's available to us now and every day. And luckily, this same God uh, doesn't just give us times like this to gather on Sunday morning so that uh, it's some sort of nice thing that we think about until we have to go face the harsh reality of Monday, but instead this is something that we get to rejoice in. This is something that we get to praise the God that loves us. So I would invite you as we close to stand and worship this God together.